So I wonder if this ever uh, happens to you. It's the end of the day, it's the end of the week, and you're on your way home. You decide you're going to stop by the store and just pick up a couple of things uh, to take home for dinner. And uh, you, you get to the store and you go in. It's been a while since you've had lunch. You know you're kind of hungry, but you know you're going straight home for dinner, right? So things are rocking along. You've gotten everything that you need. You're on your way uh, to the exit, and this happens. <laughs> and there's something like a magnetic force field in your basket that pull these into your basket. And you are unable to pry them from the basket until you pay for them at the checkout line. And by then you need them, right? Clearly it's a sign that you need these, right? So this is a true story, a a recent true story. I posted this very picture on Facebook and one of my friends replied and said, yeah, that's uh, that's why I do curbside pickup. Well, yeah, that's why I did curbside pickup already earlier that same day. (laughs) It might not be jalapeno ranch potato chips. It might be candy corn, Meg, Hayes, or (laughs) anything else, right, that's an impulse buy. You see it, you want it, your brain stops thinking you, it just happens. And the impulse buy is one of the worst intruders into our relationship with money, right? Do y'all know that you have a relationship with money, right? Sometimes we don't like to talk about money for whatever reason, uh, but we all have a relationship with money. It's unavoidable in, in the place in which we live. It's part of our culture. It's part of the currency of our culture, But our relationship with money matters because it's never just about the money. We all have a relationship with money for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. There's going to be money. What is your relationship with money? Are you all on good terms right now? Right? Good speaking terms. You work as a good team, you and your money. Or are you uh, silent partners in life? Or are you in the middle of irreconcilable differences, you and your money? Right? What, what is your relationship with money? We all have a relationship with money. Maybe today it's just owning that you do. Even if it's not the relationship you want, we have a relationship with money. If I asked you, Uh, to write down what you spent in the last week, where your money went. It's not about the amount that you spent, but where your money went in this past week. Would you be able to write that down? Would you be able to know where your money went? Our relationship with money matters because it's never just about the money. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like and what our relationship with money can be as followers of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. I pray, O Lord, that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open to hear and receive your word to us, and let it take hold of us, take root in us, that our lives might be transformed. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Dealing with money is an unavoidable part of our lives. It, as we've said, it's a part of our culture. It's the currency of our culture. It is, it is what we receive for the work that we do, the gifts that we've been given, the work that we do, so that we can spend that money to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, and, and to use it for things that all bring us pleasure, but also uh, are, go beyond that. And so it's important to know what your relationship with money is. Money is not our purpose in life. Really, money is only a tool for us to live into and out of the purpose that we have. As followers of Christ, we we know that we have a greater purpose. Paul writes to Timothy, As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, even, even there, it, God's not, we're not talking about money so that God can punish us about what we have or don't have. God provides for us for our enjoyment. God provides for us for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the, say this with me, life that really is life. What kind of life? The life that really is life. Our money is a tool that we use for the purpose of living this life that really is life. Now, our society, our our world would tell us that our our purpose with money, that our life, that really is life, is about consuming things, about earning money or getting money and then using money to consume things. Our culture, our society tells us that our our money is about us and our self-interests. As people of faith, we believe differently about that. All the way back to Genesis when God calls Abram, And says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you. There's not a period at the end of that. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Our life's purpose is greater than ourself. Our life's purpose in in being ones who are called and beloved by God is that we are blessed by God so that we can be a blessing. That's our, that's our purpose. And, and money, money is a tool that we use to live into this purpose, that we are blessed to be a blessing. It, it's not about us. It's about what we do with that, not just the things that we do, but how we live. And so maybe the question today to consider is, are you in charge of your money or is your money in charge of you? Do you tell your money what to do or are you enslaved to money's power over you? Think, think about that. Think about your habits, your spending habits. Think about the things that are important to you, that you use your time and energy and resources for. Are, are you in control of your money or is your money in control of you? Jesus says uh, we can't really have it both ways. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. We just uh, did that series this summer. No one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now we read this. This is familiar to many of us, but I suspect, I suspect that many of us in the American culture don't think that this really applies to us. 
I suspect that many of us would say, well, yeah, I give to the church. I give to charity. I give of my time and my resources. I give to God. So I'm good. But it's, it's, really, it's really about whether or not you're giving to God whatever you do with your money, is how you spend that a priority or is God the priority? Is God the priority or just sort of the, I'm going to give God a little bit here and a little bit there and then I can do what I want with the rest? I I, I think that a lot of us, whether we'll admit it or not, kind of live that way. I'm going to do these good things and then I'm going to do what I want. But I don't think we can have it both ways. I think deciding what our relationship is and where that priority may be, when we have some clarity about, uh, about our relationship with money, and there's no judgment here. This is about listening and discerning for yourself what your relationship is with money. Then once you are clear about that relationship, then you can set goals to fulfill the purpose You can set goals that help you live into the the fact that we are blessed to be a blessing. It it requires some intention and some being deliberate and thoughtful. It it requires actually talking uh, about money. In Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to want. The message says it this way, careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. And we honestly, I think, live in a culture of hurry and scurry, right? But everybody's hurrying and everybody's scurrying. But as people of faith, blessed to be a blessing, we can be deliberate and intentional with what we do, with the resources that God has given to us. The discipline of managing our money, and it is a discipline, right? It doesn't just happen. It requires practice. It requires setting goals. It requires acting, right? It doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right. I'm probably still going to buy jalapeno ranch chips or something else that jumps into my basket, right? But at least I know it's an impulse buy, right? I can name it, and and then I have to decide what I do on the other side of that, the discipline of doing that. Adam Hamilton's book, Enough, this is a revised edition. It's been out for a number of years. This year he came out with a revised edition, updated a little bit. It's really a great tool. It's really great and easy to read and um, I think speaks into our culture and into our lives and is a great resource if it's something that would be uh, helpful to you. But he kind of condenses this down into these six things. You can find similar lists um, in different places. You have an insert in your bulletin that we uh, provided for you last year and we provided for you again this year about financial planning. I just want to encourage you just to even look at it. Maybe these questions aren't questions you even ask. Maybe you should be asking them. Are you being intentional in how you manage your money or is your money actually managing you? But he says pay your tithe and offering first. Part of this, friends, is realizing that all that we have comes from God. Even the gifts that we're given to earn the money that we earn, to then spend the money that we spend, to buy the things that we need and want, all of that comes from God. It starts with God, and in the end, it, it's going to end with God. And, and so honoring God first, honoring God first. The easiest way for Daniel and I to do that actually is to... Um, 
use the EFT, the electronic funds transfer that I set up with the finance department. We're intentional in setting the amount, right? We're intentional in what we give, but then we set it up so that I don't forget to do it and I don't have to remember to do it, right? It, it's done. And, and then what we live on is what's left in the bank. My, my paycheck goes into the bank and that money comes back out. So I don't, I don't even uh, plan around that. So honoring God first, start where you are with that. Start by honoring, by recognizing that what you have is a gift from God and what can you offer back to God. Create a budget and track your expenses. That is uh, something that is simple and hard at the same time. Part of what's hard is that you realize where your money's going and it might not be exactly where you want it to go. So setting, creating a budget, tracking your expenses, simplify your lifestyle, live below your means. It's really hard in our culture when we look around and it seems like everybody has everything, right? And there are things that, that we want. A friend of mine, uh, she and her fiance are taking Financial Peace University. I would encourage you to take that or, or another financial planning uh, class that, that helps you kind of have the conversation. But one of the weeks is about... Um, it's called Buyer Beware, and it is uh, about being mindful of, of what you're buying and, and how people will try to sell things to you, right? And so she said she and her fiancé now, they kind of use Buyer Beware as code language for themselves. So when they're out looking at something and she says, oh, I have to have that, he'll say, Buyer Beware, right? And she's free to do the same thing for him, right? Because they are, they're drawn to different things. But what would it look like if that phrase, you know, when you walk past the, the potato chips that want to jump in your basket, if, if in that, in my head, I thought, buyer beware, right? Now, honestly, sometimes I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) But what if there was a mechanism to trigger that thoughtfulness? So much of what happens is that we just don't think about what we're doing. It's just impulse, and so having that little trigger uh, to remind you, to remind you that you have what you need. You have what you need. Establish an emergency fund. This is an important part of the world so that when the AC goes out or you need new tires or there's an unexpected medical bill, it, it's not as difficult as it already is, right? Start saving something as an emergency fund for yourself and your family. Pay off your credit cards, use debit cards for purchases, and use credit wisely. Practice long-term savings and investing habits. You know, John Wesley would, would say, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Give all you can. That saving all you can, uh, earn all you can, do what you can, work diligently, work honestly, and earn what you can. Save all you can. It wasn't just about saving money as in putting money away. It was about making wise choices and saving money, but also... Also, save all you can. Be wise in what you're spending and what you're saving, and then give all you can. Being mindful that we're entrusted to care for God's creation. We're entrusted to love and God, love God, and love one another. We're we're entrusted to um, take care of our families. We're we're created and entrusted to glorify God. So looking for ways to actually do that in in what we use our money for, how we spend it, how we save it. We don't save money just to save it. That's called hoarding. But to save intentionally and and to save in a way that allows you to give intentionally and generously to God. 
These steps uh, are very simple steps and yet very difficult steps. I don't, I don't know where you are today. We're all in different places with our money. But what's the one step that you can take today? Maybe it's simply owning your relationship with money. Maybe it is having a conversation and, and deciding what you want to do with your money. Maybe it's owning that you are beloved and called by God to live a, a life with, of greater purpose than just yourself. What is your first step? You know, when we talk about money in the church, uh, and, and we, we, don't, we probably actually don't talk about it enough. Jesus talks about money all the time. And, and we tend to have seasons when we talk about it. And, and some people are um, savvy enough to know when we're going to talk about it, and they just don't come. So kudos to you for either not knowing that we were going to talk about money today or coming anyway, right? If I had gold stars, I would give all of you a gold star for showing up today. This is so important to the culture in which we live and, and to the life in which we live. And I think the assumption is that we're going to talk about money because what we're going to say is that we want something from you. I've heard people say they only talk about money because they want money from me. What I want you to know is that more than what we want from you is what we want for you. What we want for you is this life that really is life. What we want for you is for you to know that you're blessed to be a blessing. What God wants for you is a life of generosity. It's not about what God wants from you. Do we need money? Of course. We have to have the lights on. We have to run the AC. We, we use money for those basic things and also to support ministries that take God's word beyond the walls, right, and provide places for us to grow in faith. Yes, it, money is just a necessity, but, but it's not really the most important thing that we want from you. It, it's, it's what we want for you in the life that you live. So that you live the life that really is life. Last week we introduced you to Ryan and to Josh who are, uh, they run a website called theminimalist.com. And uh, Ryan, in the clip from last week, uh, talked about how he had everything. He, had, he was living the American dream. He had a house, he had cars, he had everything that he needed. He spent money left and right. He had a good job that consumed him, but it was a good job. Right? And at the end of the clip last week, what we realize is, is his admission that even with all of the stuff, even with pr- having the American dream, he was not happy. He was depressed and he was anxious and he was worried and he was miserable. He wasn't living at all. And, and so in the rest of the, the video, the rest of the clip, he talks about going to his friend Josh, who is an example for him of contentment. He knows Josh has been through some difficult times, and yet Josh has this sense of contentment about him. And he asks Josh why that is. And Josh tells him about a number of different people that are living life uh, intentionally and deliberately with meaning and with purpose. And they're also choosing to live that way by living a more minimalist lifestyle. And it's not about uh, getting rid of everything that you have. It's not about not having things. It's about having the things that you need and having the things that add value to your life. So it's not about having nothing. It's about having the most important things. And so as he tells them that those are the common factors, that, that these people are deliberate and intentional in how they live and what they have, 
They live lives of meaning and purpose, and they live lives with what they need and what adds value instead of just having stuff. So Ryan decides he wants to live that way, to try to live that way. So he he has Josh help him, and they pack up his condo. They pack it up as if he's moving. Everything goes in boxes. Everything, towels, dishware, everything goes in boxes. And he spends then the next three weeks only taking out the things that he needs to live or the things that add value to his life. And here's what happens. I spent the next 21 days unpacking only the items I needed. My toothbrush, my bed and bed sheets, the furniture I actually used, some kitchenware, a tool set, just the things that added value to my life. After three weeks, 80% of my stuff was still sitting in those boxes, just sitting there, unaccessed. All those things that were supposed to make me happy, they weren't doing their job. I wonder what that would be for you. I'm not suggesting that you go pack up your house because honestly, I wouldn't do it, right? That's my other true confession. I'm all about the confession today, right? Chips, I'm not gonna pack up my house. But what if you did? Can you imagine packing up your house And for the next three weeks, or four weeks, heck, I'll give you four weeks. For the next four weeks, unpack only the things that you need or that add value to your life. What would, the question is, what would remain packed? What is it that you have that takes up your time and your energy and your space that you don't use, that doesn't add value, that creates more stress and anxiety for you than than gives you life? What would that look like for you? He, he, realized, he realized how crazy that was. And so he makes the decision to sell or give away that 80% of the stuff and, and live on the things that he needed. He, and he talks about how he found life again and meaning and purpose because what he got down to was everything that remains was what was most important. So he, the two of them start a blog called them at theminimalist.com and, and uh, slowly uh, had a few readers at first and now there's over 2 million people that, that read the, this. There's a hunger for simplicity in our world of, of stuff and of, uh, of complexity. There's a hunger for simplicity. And this is part of the rest of their story. A couple of years ago, Ryan and I moved from Ohio to Montana. And what we discovered here was an entire community of people, people who weren't traditionally wealthy, but who were rich in a different way. We discovered so many people who were willing to contribute beyond themselves. And that's what makes a real community, contribution. And so we'd like to encourage everyone to take a look at your day-to-day lives. Take a look at whatever eats up the majority of your time. Is it checking email or Facebook or watching TV? Is it shopping online or at retail stores? Is it working hard for a paycheck to buy stuff you don't need, things that won't make you happy? Now, it's not that we think that there's anything inherently wrong with material possessions 
or working a nine to five. There's not. We all need some stuff. We all have to pay the bills, right? It's just that when we put those things first, we tend to lose sight of our real priorities. We lose sight of life's purpose. And so maybe getting some of the excess stuff out of the way, clearing the clutter from our lives, can help us all focus on, well, everything that remains. Things like health, relationships, growth, contribution, community. Thank you. I wonder how many of us, for how many of us, health, and by health I mean physical health and emotional health and spiritual health, how, how much of our health and our relationships and our uh, contribution becomes lost underneath all of the stuff and underneath all of the things we think we have to have and the things we have to do. What's most, what we would say is most important to us often gets lost in the clutter of all the other stuff. What, would that, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? The thing is that the choices that we make don't just happen. Nobody's going to make them for us. We have to be deliberate and intentional using our experience and our knowledge and choosing to believe that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we are called by God, chosen by God, beloved by God in order to be a blessing to the world and to one another. This, the group that, that um, used this idea of the minimalism, they're not a, a, a religious group. They don't have a, a faith statement. But what they do is totally translatable to us as a faith community about understanding what's important. What are our priorities? Who are we called to be our life purpose greater than ourself? right? That, that we are called and created to love God and to love one another. We're called and created to live a life that really is life. I wonder what the step is that you need to take today. It's different for all of us, but you do understand that if you don't take any steps at all toward health and your relationship with money, that you're only going to stay where you are. Nothing will change unless you take the first step. So what is that first step for you? And in, in maybe it's just believing that you are blessed to be a blessing and asking God to show you what that is. Maybe it is uh, tithing. Maybe it is setting a budget. Maybe it is uh, deciding that you're going to have a little fun and, and, you know, have buyer beware circling in your mind every time you're tempted to buy something. Maybe it is that, that you simply have conversation about money. The wisdom is, is that God provides all that we need. God is enough, and God provides enough. So much enough that, that we can give. And that what God wants for us is a life that really is life. It's not about what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. And I wonder if that's what you want for yourself, too. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we confess that it's hard for us to live in the midst of this world where stuff is so important, where having the latest and the greatest is uh, what defines life. Lord, help us to slow down. Help us to be mindful and deliberate and intentional 
in how we use the resources that you've entrusted to us. Give us courage to have conversations uh, about money so that it takes away the the fearful part of that, so that it takes away uh, the discomfort of, of talking about that, that we talk about it because it's important to how we live our lives and how we live the purpose for which we have been created. Show us Show us how we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing, that that's not really as much what you want from us as what you want and intend for us. Let that settle into our souls and take hold of us so that we might be a blessing to the world around us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love that we commissioned the acolytes today who bring the light of Christ in for us. And what I want you to remember is that we come in and we're gathered in this safe place where we can be the body of Christ together. But we're not gathered just to be gathered. We're gathered so that we can be sent out into the world. And so I'm mindful that uh, in the past couple of weeks and in the foreseeable weeks ahead, uh, there's going to be some tension in the world in which, to which we are sent. And I want to implore us all, I want to implore us all to be kind and gracious with one another. I want to implore us all to listen to one another. I want to implore us all to be mindful and thoughtful about how we respond to one another, different than how we might react to one another. And here's why. Because our children and our youth, they are watching us. And they are listening to what we say, to how we say it, and to what we say about one another. And because people who don't yet know Jesus are watching those of us who say we do know Jesus, and they're listening to what we say and how we say it. And what we say about one another as ones who say we follow Jesus. So I just want to implore us all to actually be the body of Christ in the midst of the broken world. We're gathered to be sent out. And so with that encouragement and with that imploring... We, send, we are sent back out into the world. And the love of God, be assured of God's love for you. And the peace of Christ that guards our hearts and our minds. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that is with us. And allows us to live the life that really is life. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>